Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. With Pentecost, we celebrate the birth of the church, giving thanks for the ways we are different and the same. So it was at the first Pentecost when all would hear the same message in their own language. How are we called to live similarly? Not just to get out of our comfortable boxes to see and understand one another despite our differences, but also to lean into that. Uniting together in Christ to love God and one another more fully, wholly, and completely. This week's message of the week comes from Pastor Abigail Ozan, who shares from Acts chapter 2 and tells the story of Pentecost and how barriers are broken down by the presence of the Holy Spirit and how unity can happen throughout the universal church. Here is the First Church message of the week. So you may be like some of the children today wondering, what's with all of the red? No, it is not because it is Valentine's Day. It is Pentecost. And uh, so the reason that we have red is because red represents the Holy Spirit. And the red is those flames of the Holy Spirit or the tongues of fire that we heard about in the story um, just a moment ago, and we'll talk about it again in a minute, um, that were resting on the people and so that they could speak in uh, different languages and be understood by one another. And so fire is one of the symbols for the Holy Spirit. So that's why we have red and then we have fire colors and we have these Holy Spirit wands. And if you want one, you're welcome to take one when you go or you're welcome to get a blessing with one of them. My idea was like, you know, all the tongues they rest on people. So, you know, you can do that. Um, Some people might be a little bit of a child inside. But then what is Pentecost all about? Um, Well, Pentecost is from the Greek word for 50. And it is a feast day on the 50th day after Passover. And so this was celebrated then by the Jews at the time um, as an important uh, festival feast day. And so Jewish people came from all over the Jewish diaspora or the diaspora, which is a word for the Jewish people spread out, not just in Israel, but all over. And they gathered together to celebrate this uh, harvest festival in Jerusalem. And so they came from throughout the Roman Empire and on the map, uh, you will see, you can click to the map, um, you'll see here, this map actually shows several different time periods of the Jewish people spreading out, but the purple in particular was where Jewish people lived during the time of Jesus. And so they came from all around the Roman Empire and even beyond it, from as far south as Libya and Egypt, so that would be that purple band on the bottom, um, to as far north as present-day Turkey, which was parts of that were then called Cappadocia and the province of Asia. That's the province of Asia that we hear about in Revelation if you come to the Bible study on Monday um, or Thursday. You'll hear more about that. Um, and then from what is now Iraq and Iran in the east to Rome in the west. Um, and so that big purple one in the east... Um, 
it's flipped. That's what's throwing me off here <laughs> from me looking at you is actually where the, the people were there from the Babylonian times when they were taken away in exile, not everybody returned. So that's why there's so many that are that far east. And so we know this, not just from historians drawing a map or creating a map for us, um, and they know this, um, also from scripture. And so in just a moment, I'm going to read all these different place names of groups of people, and they include the places that are on this map. And so um, you will see or hear some of those, and you may recognize where that is or you may not, but this map shows that whole breadth of the places. So the scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came the sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In these last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this scripture is describing this amazing event 
and the Jewish people, considering that they were from so many places. And then also it mentions proselytes, which would be people who were not culturally Jewish, didn't grow up in the faith, um, who were uh, would come to temple and would honor God. And so they believed in the one God, the God that of the Hebrew people, but they weren't Jews. But they were also present. And since people came from so many places, it makes sense that they were surprised, the disciples particularly, they would have been surprised too about how everyone could understand what they were saying, that they could be understood. And so this is a moment when the believers were brought together in mutual understanding. They had gathered together because of some things they had in common, of wanting to celebrate this festival. But even the barrier of no common language was removed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes Pentecost is also celebrated or talked about as the birthday of the church. Because this is when we celebrate when the believers were brought together in a new way. These believers went from a scared band of Jesus followers huddled behind closed doors to proclaiming the Gospels in the streets of Jerusalem. Think about them just a few weeks before, after Jesus' death, and before they even knew that he was resurrected. He appeared to them when they were all gathered together in a locked room. And they were in a locked room because they were afraid of what the Romans were going to do, or the Jewish religious authorities. And yet, it doesn't take long for them to follow the calling of the Holy Spirit to go out and to share the good news. And so this group that began as a few dozen people, not just the dozen disciples, but all the women and men that were, had been following along with this group, grew to hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. And of course, eventually millions and over billion. I don't know exactly how many Christians are in the world today, but a lot. The church has always been broader than one nation, one culture or class of people. The church then was not made up of people who were all the same, and it is not made up of people who are all the same today. If you think about the Big C Church, so the Big C Church is just a way of talking about a church with a capital C because that's um, the way some people talk about the church all over the world. So not just a specific congregation, but the church all around the world, um, regardless of denomination or sect. So this includes hundreds of languages and cultures. And everyone does not believe exactly the same thing. But all are considered part of the church. Sometimes we also talk about a different kind of little c, in this case, little c Catholic church, because that is the word that actually means universal. So when we say in a creed or something about the Holy Catholic Church and it's not capitalized, 
We're just saying the holy universal church, the church of all people in all times and places. The song, We Are the Church, reminds us that the church is not a building or an object of any kind. It reminds us that it is the people, the community, that are brought together by the Holy Spirit. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world. Yes, we're the church together. The church is not a building, the church is not a steeple, the church is not a resting place. So, I mean, you can sleep in the church, that's okay. I do prefer that you don't do it um, during my sermon, but I have seen that happen too. Um, but the church is the people gathered together. By the Holy Spirit, the people are brought together, and by the Holy Spirit, Christ is made present in the church. The church becomes Christ's body in the world. And this connects us with Christ and the first followers of Jesus, or the first followers of the way, as they called themselves. Now, you might be saying, well, either your eyes are glazing over at this point, or you might be saying, wait, what? Christ's body? Or maybe you've heard that term so many times, but you never really think about what does that mean. But it actually matters. What we say when we say that the church becomes Christ's body is that when Jesus died and was resurrected and went to be with the Father, then his human self was no longer walking around on earth. So, however, Christ, who has existed from the beginning and still exists, was present in the world, but present through all of the followers of Christ. That's all of us. So even though Jesus' physical body is not present here, Jesus is present here in each of us. And this has real life meaning, and it matters to us today in several different ways, that we are the church, and we are Christ's representatives in the world. And we are sent to share the teachings of Jesus. And so... If you think about what some people might say about the church, now you could be thinking about what you or somebody else that goes here says about the church, or what people who go to another church or don't go to any church say about Christians and the church. There are lots of different understandings, but they are all the results of how Christians act. Whether people think that the church is judgmental and exclusive, or a welcoming place that's safe for everyone, whether people see the church um, as having a specific set of beliefs or assuming something about what the church believes or what the Bible says, all of that is based on how Christians act and what we say and do. So I invite you to think about what do you think of what maybe one word or phrase comes to mind when you walk into our church or when you land on the website, because that's also when you're entering the church. Is this a museum or a shrine to past glory? 
I've been in a church or two like that. And you know that that's the case because you walk in and one of the first things you see is a beautiful display, maybe some pictures, a sort of trophy case kind of thing that has uh, things from the history of the church in it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. And we have lovely historical displays here about our church. But when it's the first thing you see when you come in, that says something about what's being valued there. When we're so focused on the past and who we've been, we can't be looking forward as well to who we are now and who we're becoming. Or some people, maybe you come into a church and it feels a little bit like a clubhouse. Like there are certain people who are part of the club and you have to somehow be let in. Or do you think of the church as a home? A place where you can be safe. Is the church a place where you go on tiptoes? A place of respect? Is it a place where you can go barefoot? I bring this up because it was a controversy in the church when I was growing up, and I probably scandalized people by going barefoot in the church. (laughs) Or is the church a place uh, to make loud music, to lift up one's voice in praise? Is the church a place for a certain kind of people? So I did ask some folks uh, as I was working on this sermon to describe the church in a word or two. And I also asked some youth who said some very similar things. And here's some of the words they used. Lifeline, home, support, welcoming, safe place, friendships, peace, educational, blessing, base, or home base. These are not about the building, and they're not about the objects in it. They're focused on how one feels, and they're about relationships, friendships, feeling welcomed, feeling supported. This is all about relations between people. And I truly believe that this church strives to be a place of welcome for many different kinds of people. And I know that that's why many of you are here today, why you came to the church or stayed in the church, because you felt like this was a place where you were welcomed. You may have noticed that there is an image on the front of your bulletin or uh, if you're watching online, there's a link to the bulletin, or you've got it on the screens, that uh, shows this drawing. Um, Actually, I made it about 10 years ago when I was in seminary for a class on the introduction to theology. And for our final paper, we had to talk about all these different areas of theology, and we could use some creative methods to do that. So I made this image very particularly to represent some of the theology around what the church is, and what it should be in the world. Now, you notice there are no buildings in this image. In the very center, you have six people, six people that have uh, looked different. They're particular people, not just generic people. And I did that on purpose because God loves us for who we are, for our particularities. And God loves all of us. 
And some of the people are facing inward toward the center. And in the center is a Bible, what's supposed to be a Bible, and a loaf of bread and a cup that represent the word and the sacrament. And this is the center of the church. And so we've got people looking inward and focused on that, and that's important. Our worship is important to us. And our being together in fellowship is important to us. And also there are people that are looking outward into the world. And that matters too. Because we're not just to be about who's here. We're also to be going out into the world. So there are three things that are surrounding this image of the church. The tree and stream that you see represent creation and the rest of creation. And so it is, we relate to it as the church, and hopefully we also care for creation as part of reaching out. On the top, there's a set of scales that are to represent principalities and powers. So this would be governments, um, institutions, corporations, maybe even economic systems. And the church relates to these, too, that it is present in the world and it is present in the larger institutions and governments of the world, but not totally part of it. And hopefully we are looking outward to seek justice in all of these areas. And then the last image down in the bottom right left corner, bottom left corner, is um, all these little faces uh, of the people. And this represents humanity. So all of humankind. And so the church is part of that and is reaching out to those people and hopefully serving them and loving them and helping them. And then you have, going through the whole thing, you've got some blue lines, which are sort of representative of wind, and there are three of them. Why are there three? This is all symbolic. What's special about three? Trinity, yeah. Yeah, you can yell it out. Yes, the Trinity. Um, so in Revelation especially, but all throughout the Bible, uh, the numbers that are present represent different things. And so I could have written the words Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or I could have written Holy Spirit. Instead, I just represent it by these symbols. You don't have to be able to read. Um, and you can know, if you know something about what the church is, then this represents the Trinity and particularly the Holy Spirit that is present in the church and also in the world. And so drawing people in and sending people forth into the world. So this is the ideal of what the church should look like. The church at its best is a place where difference is not only okay, but it is celebrated. Now, you may remember from in the 90s in particular, it was probably around other times, but I remember seeing it a lot then in schools, in workplaces, and sort of as a catchphrase, celebrate diversity. But I think a lot of times we didn't know what did that mean to celebrate diversity. 
It doesn't just mean have different people with different skills or backgrounds or whatever in the same place. It's more than merely allowing or tolerating differences. It's about appreciating the differences and the fact that they are there. So this might look in the church something like this. And I mentioned people, but I don't have specific people in mind here. These are generic examples. A man who is considered to be awkward and says the wrong things at the wrong times is listened to and cared for. People who vote for opposing political candidates share fellowship and compassion for one another. A person who uses a cane or a walker or a wheelchair is able to participate because they can safely get to where they need to go for worship or meetings or Bible study or events. A woman who struggles to hear and understand people feels included because in worship she can actually hear everything that is being said because we use microphones. A man going through a messy divorce is comfortable coming to worship because he doesn't feel judged or shamed. These are just some examples of what it can look like when we appreciate people, who they are, where they are. The church matters, and being the church matters. It's not about having just the right beliefs It's not about being able to recite a hundred verses from memory, from the scriptures. Although if you do, good job. I'm a big fan of memorizing scripture. It's not about coming from the right kind of family or the family that's been here forever. It's not about agreeing with everybody. We're never all going to agree on everything. But it is about being united together to love God and to love our neighbors. It's valuing the community as a whole over conformity, over all of us being just the same. And part of what the church is, is acknowledging that we need each other. You cannot be the church just by yourself. And I would argue, and could give you a whole sermon, about how you can't Just be a Christian by yourself. We need each other. So as you go about your days uh, this week, think about how you are being the church, being Christ's body present in the world. Are you caring for those in need as Jesus did? Are you loving your neighbors no matter how different they are from you? Are you taking time to actually get to know people who are different than you, to listen to them and to spend time with them? If so, then you are being the church and honoring the diversity of all of God's people. May you all continue to grow in likeness to Christ and to live as his body in the world. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, we don't all have to believe the same thing. 
And the Methodist church is not a creedal church, which doesn't mean we don't say creeds or statements of faith, but it does mean we don't say you must believe this to be a member of this church. But when we say these creeds, we say what has been given to us, the faith that has been given to us and passed down to us, and we acknowledge that this is part of our history. So I invite you to together profess uh, the faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information on our church calendar, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.